All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 26 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger, Frank Saravalli, and we are coming to you from the woodjerseys.com studio, a licensed NHL product. Uh, it looks awesome. You can get it. Check it out, woodjerseys.com. Frank, how you doing, man? How you feeling? I'm good. Did anything happen this week? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, dude. Have, have the Rangers been fined again? Like that's, you know, I'm curious, but, but that was what, what a crazy week. And I know some people are like, Oh, this isn't good for the game. And I'm like, dude, we played like 815 NHL games this year. So that's like 0.0012% of them. And you had six fights in the first six minutes. People, I don't, I think most people love it. It's so outside the norm today. You've got Wilson's clearly the biggest villain in hockey right now. The Rangers are getting fined and then they're getting their own suspension from Bushnave. It's like, man, that those two games, Frank, had everything. You didn't even mention that they fired their president and GM. Like, what? <laughs> just slide that in. Like, yeah, that was crazy. It's It's been an insane week and almost all of it has revolved around the Rangers. Um, Honestly, we're now little more than 48 hours since the New York Rangers fired Jeff Gordon and John Davidson. And I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it and connect the dots. Like, I guess I could understand some parts of 
the firing of Jeff Gordon, like maybe the way that it's been presented, we wanted to be more competitive. We were lacking toughness. Uh, you know, I thought the team might be a little bit better this year. I've laid out already on TSN.ca the reasons why Jeff Gordon had done a great job building this team and why he's going to be at the top of anyone's candidate list. No one has still explained to me yet why John Davidson followed him out the door. I'm still, I I don't understand. He's been on the job less than two years. And now Chris Drury ascends to not just GM, a role he's never had, but also gets the president title as well on a permanent basis. Um, This, this week has been bananas with a capital B. Drury getting the GM job. Uh, I think I can see why he's been building, you know what, uh, he, he, he turned down opportunities to talk to some other teams. So I think he felt like, Hey, New York is where his heart was. So the GM job, I'm, I was okay, but you're right, Frank, the president's job, like it's a completely different skill set. It's a completely different role. It's now, I don't know, maybe Drury is doing that behind the scenes, but people I talk to say, no, he's, you know, GM, they're not surprised by. And like, he's, he's going to have to obviously hire an experienced assistant GM just to try to, Cause you only have so many hours in the day. It's hard to do both jobs. Like I don't even think there is another guy who does both jobs really at the end of the day around the league or not many that I can There's think very of. few. And I'll tell you who's been doing a lot of the maneuvering behind the scenes. And that would be Glenn Sather. Uh, it's been really interesting to see slats back in the, not just in the fold, but at the press conference in which Chris jury is introduced. I know that he's, been a senior advisor, but I think he was a big part of what happened behind the scenes, bending Jim Dolan's ear and, and making sure that this all went down this week. I think there'd been rumblings internally, not anything that we had heard in the media that Jeff Gordon may be in trouble. And I think he even got a sense of that as early as last weekend, according to some conversations that he had with guys on his own team. But still, um, the timing of it is also so fascinating. And look, I I know the Rangers have said repeatedly that the statement and the fallout that came from it had nothing to do with these moves. And I do believe that because, like I said, this has been going on for the last while. I think Glenn Sather has been in New York for the last five weeks, which is somewhat unheard of for him during a hockey season. He spends most of it in Palm Springs, if I'm not mistaken. So... To see all that play out, the timing of it for me, I think personally, rather than waiting, and I know that Dolan had spun it in the New York Post at least, that he wanted to get ahead of it before the exit interviews because he wanted Chris Jury in charge. And I, and maybe I could understand part of that, but I do feel like the statement that came down that surprised both Gordon and Davidson and had them scurrying to distance themselves from it with league and other team executives I think that was sort of the last straw that made it super easy for the Rangers to cut ties at that point. Yeah. The statement I, I didn't really understand. You can disagree with George Peros and, 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 and a lot of people will on, on different matters, but um, you know, to call we've never seen one, something like that yeah, from an I, NHL team just, ever. Yeah, like we can disagree with a lot of people, but the calling for people to get fired stuff, I just, I, we don't need to see that in society on, on a lot of levels. I think we've gone way overboard. Oh, I disagree with someone's decision. Well, they should be fired now. So I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of that. And let's be honest, Peros like Shanahan and Burke and every other predecessor in that role, like the best grade you'll ever get is a C because half the people hate it and the other half are okay with it. And it's funny because you're like, okay, Tom Wilson might've been able to get a game. 
right? Like at the end of the day, he might've got a game, but even if he gets suspended a game, Frank, I still think the New York Rangers come out wanting to fight the next game because like you, you know, they heard a lot of things publicly. Mark Messier said, well, I probably would have built the team a little bit different. I don't think they're tough enough. And there was a mm-hmm. lot of that. And, you know, I credit the Ranger players. They, you know, you had a lot of guys that don't fight and they said, okay, you know what, we're going to stand up to ourselves. And I think that might help them down the road, to be honest, like, you know, it's a lot of things like that galvanize a group. Sometimes when you saw so many guys, you know, willing to do things that they normally wouldn't do like Ryan Strom's having another great season. And there he is fighting Lars Eller, probably because Lars Eller was like, Hey, Tom Wilson's a really good guy in his press conference earlier that day. So I like the response from the Rangers. I'm curious, what do you think this means for their head coach? When you talk exit interviews? Yeah, I don't know. It's a, I think it's a really interesting question and it's not lost on me. I mentioned it on the pod a few weeks ago when David Quinn missed that game due to COVID protocol and they come out and spank the flyers nine, nothing to me. Look, I know any sort of blowout that can happen every now and again, but to blow a team's doors off like that, I think that team was rambunctious and ready to go to play under a new coach. And I think you know, you add that in and then a lot of the backstory and rumor is that part of the disagreement between John Davidson and Jeff Gordon with Rangers ownership was over making a coaching change that they had resisted that. I don't know how true it is, but that's the sentiment. And what's fascinating to me is if Chris Drury is going to come in now and then make that decision to fire David Quinn, there's a lot of connections there. Boston university, and not only that, but Chris Drury is the GM of Team USA at the World Championships coming up. My understanding is, and I'd be curious to see if he actually retains the role given all that he is going to have to do with the Rangers. But my understanding was that he had already asked David Quinn to be his head coach for Team USA at the World. So that hasn't been made public, and I, I don't know if it will, that's sort of behind the scenes. So that kind of adds a little juice to whatever's coming. And by the way, I wanted to touch on one thing. You mentioned the statement. I wrote a story yesterday about the idea of that statement, galvanizing support for George Paros, a lot of GMs. And in addition to obviously league executives felt like that statement was over the top. That's not how you do it in hockey. You don't call for someone's head. You don't eat your own and you certainly don't do it publicly the response was fascinating from fans. And look, I get it. Not everyone understands how uh, the journalism world works, but I was getting all sorts of heat on social media that I'm in the Department of Player Safety's pocket, that, you know, <laughs> whatever it may be. This is not a take. There's no hot take here. That's just reporting. There were a number of GMs fired up. And you know what's funny? It didn't make it into my story because I because of all that happened. But before the firings happened, I was talking to a GM and one of the things he mentioned was, oh, so the Rangers failed to make the playoffs. I don't see anyone issuing a statement saying that all the, all members of the Rangers management should be fired. And lo and behold, that's actually what ends up happening. But I think there's something to be said for, as you mentioned, disagreeing, fine. To say that the guy's a dereliction of duty and unfit for the job is a whole other level in a, in a thankless job that I think more often than not, George Paris has gotten right. 
Yeah, it, it is a thankless job. There's no question about it. And and the funny thing is sometimes people get upset. Well, I thought he'd get one game and he got two. Well, really, is that is what's that the difference? The grand... Right. Yeah, there's not much of a difference at all. So it's it's a tough one. But the, uh, you know, the drama of the NHL, uh, you know, the New York Rangers, a non-playoff team are definitely in the mix. Now we, we've pretty much got the 16 spots cleared up for the playoffs. The seedings are there, Frank. Like it's it's going to be fascinating. I'm curious, though. Do you see any other teams? Because a lot of teams didn't want to let guys go during the season. We know like Tockett doesn't have a contract and Travis mm -hmm. Green doesn't have a contract. Are there any other coaches, you know, Blashill in Detroit that you see Tortorella in Columbus? Like we could see significant change behind the bench this offseason in a lot of different markets. Do you think it's just going to be like a carousel or is there going to be some guys who are out of the league jumping back on the ride right now? There's obviously going to be one because of course Seattle comes in. So there's the 32nd coach and there's only 31, but you know, you look at, at green and talk it like if those guys don't stay in their markets, I got to think other teams are going to want them. hundred percent. I think Rick talk whenever we do our first free agent frenzy ranking, uh, hopefully next week on tsn.ca, Rick Tockett's going to be on the list. It's the first time a coach has ever made it. Um, he's going to be that in demand, whether it's Seattle, whether it's a team like the Rangers. Um, I think there's lots of possibilities for a guy like Rick Tockett. Uh, but you mentioned we could see a lot of change, and it, we, we could, and I think we will, but I don't know that it's going to be all that different than a normal sort of, you call it Black Monday, whatever it is that follows the season, um, it's probably going to be in that same sort of five, six, seven coaches that change jobs. And we kind of see that every year. Well, it depends. Some years we saw it fired. I think what the one year, two years ago, I think there were seven or eight coaches fired during the season, which was kind of crazy. And so, mm -hmm. um, I just, I think this year we might see a lot of it. And then, you know, people trying to get the, the jump on the, the, those non-playoff teams are going to be, you know, racing to see who can hire their coach first, mm -hmm. right. To, to get his input potentially on their expansion, uh, protected list. Although I'm sure most teams have it down. There might be one or two guys at the bottom that they're going to have to make a decision on, but mm -hmm. It's always fascinating to see not only who lets their coaches go, Frank, but then who tries to jump back in quickly to fill their role. Yeah. And look, um, everyone's going to be jockeying, you know, the guys that are out of work, we haven't mentioned Mike Babcock. Uh, we had Gerard Gallant on the podcast last week. Uh, there's a lot of guys that are in the mix that would like to find a way to get back in. Um, I don't think we talked much about Anaheim. I'm curious to see if there's a coaching change made there. Um, and the other team I really wonder about, I think it's off the radar. There's been a little bit of chatter about it lately. I think a lot would need to happen in order for this to happen, but Paul Maurice in Winnipeg, mm -hmm. I think he's been in lockstep with Kevin shovel day off. I think they get along really well. Um, and I think he's highly respected. I wonder with him being signed for the next couple years, having somewhat recently got an extension with a team that is generally pretty budget conscious if they'd actually pull the trigger and, and pay two coaches at the same time. But um, that's, I think another one to watch in a sneaky way. Oh yeah. It's, it's fascinating. There's lots of that. Uh, let's bring in uh, producer Ty. Let's get to buy or sell. Yes, as always, buy or sell is brought to you by Jock Market, jockmkt.com. It's the hybrid between fantasy sports and the stock market. 
Use that promo code DFO20. It's going to get you a $20 deposit bonus. Uh, some big things that happened over the week on Jock Market. You remember back to when Toronto had that 5-1 beatdown on the Vancouver Canucks. I guess that was about a week or a little over a week ago now. Austin Matthews stock in that game started at $1. By the end of the game, it was up to $16. Check it out yourself, jockmkt.com. Uh, you guys started off the pod by talking about the John Davidson, Jeff Gordon situation. I'm going to say they both have new jobs in NHL management by the start of next season. Jason, you buying or selling? Uh, I'm selling. Okay. Um, Davidson's got three years left on his contract. Uh, Gordon's got two. Um, like there's, there's very few roles like Vancouver in theory could make sense for John Davidson. I have no idea though, if he wants to move like that's you're, you're moving across the country, like out of New York, yeah. all the way to the West coast. So Davidson, no Gordon does, does he want to take on an assistant GM role? I'm going to say, I'm going to sell on both. I don't think either one's in next year only because they both got contracts. I'm selling uh, and it's more for Davidson. He's 68 years old. You mentioned he's got years left on his contract in New York. That's paying him big money and let's talk about his track record. Let's call a spade a spade. 15 years as a team president, one playoff round win. Why would you hire him? I don't understand. Why would you go out of your way to bring him in? So that's one. And I do think Jeff Gorton will be back in the game in short order. I think if there is a GM opening this summer that Jeff Gorton gets the next job that he wants. And I do think there is going to be at least one GM job opening. I could see as many as three or four. Sticking where let's move over to a team we're going to get into in a second here with Hawks GM Stan Bowman, but they're in a tough division. They're in a rebuild right now, but I personally like the way things are going in Chicago. I'll say that maybe not next year because they're going back to a tough division, but in one of the next two seasons, the Chicago Blackhawks will be a playoff team. Frank, you buying or selling? Buying. I think you'll hear from Stan Bowman later about their quest to get more impact players. But I think that team was more competitive this year than, than many thought they would be. And I think they've got a blank slate. They're going to have plenty of opportunity to bring in and be ready to get one of those impact players. I think Jeremy Colleton has shown himself to be a good coach. And I just think the one complicating factor is that playoff uh, picture and the division. I didn't want to tell Stan when we were doing the podcast, but uh if you look at his central division from last year out of the seven teams, he's going back to that and they're adding Arizona five of last year's seven central division teams made the playoffs. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm selling. And for a few reasons, you know, the health of Jonathan Taze is a major factor for them moving forward. I, I think if Jonathan can come back and play, you know, that would change, but I, I don't know if that's, if that's going to happen or not. So I, I look and, and it's hard. And Frank brought it up. Minnesota now was kind of average. They're on their way up. Colorado's obviously still uh, an excellent team. So there's two St. Louis, like they're Nashville, like they're, they're in a tough division as, as Frank alluded to. And it's hard because Chicago, unless they can win a lottery here, like they've got some good young players coming, but not great. And, you know, Stan talked about impact guys. They've got some cap space for sure, but it's not like there's a ton of real impact players that are going to hit the free agent market. There's a few, but, you know, going to Chicago, it's still a great place, right? It's got great fans. Uh, you got Patrick Kane, but I'm still selling for two more years. I, I think that, you know, the Hawks are probably three years away from being a playoff team. Uh, just, just to follow up before you ask the next question, just while we're looking at that central division for next year, 
You've got Colorado as a wagon and it's going to be good for a long time. And Minnesota is a team on the rise. But after that, you've got a couple teams that have some question marks. Winnipeg had a good year this year. What do they look like getting thrown back into the central next year? Dallas didn't make the playoffs this year. They were one of the seven, the Hawks and Dallas were the two out of the seven, which is amazing that didn't make it. They're going to bounce back, but I don't know if that team has the ability to sustain long-term success. And I think Nashville is on a team going in the opposite direction. So I don't know. I think you got Colorado and Minnesota as sure things. I think that leaves some room for the the Hawks to get in after that. Yeah. The the Jets offense, like Dubois is going to be infinitely better next year. I I, Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. Uh, let's dig into some individual players here. Anzi Kopitar got his 1,000th point the other day. I know this is going to sound... I, I think I know what both your answers are going to be, but I figured we should give some love to Kopitar anyways. I'm saying he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Gregor, you buying or selling? Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that's probably a pretty easy one. He's, he's the first player from Slovenia to have 1,000 points. He's only the 91st player in NHL history to have 1,000 points. He's got two Stanley Cups. He's, he's been one of the best two-way players in the game for a long time. Um, yeah, I, I think when, when Kopitar's career is over, he will, uh, you know, him and Drew Doughty from that LA Kings or, you know, punch their ticket. They're both going. Um, yeah, I guess first ballot. He, he's definitely a hall of famer, yeah. right? First ballot or not. I, I'll, I guess I'll buy it Two Selkies. One of the premier two-way players in the game for a long time third in heart trophy voting. He's never been a first or second team all-star. Really? Um, I don't know. I mean, the points are there. The production's there. The consistency's there. I he's, there's no doubt he's all a famer. I just don't know if he's first ballot. If the NHL had a comeback player of the year award, it would go to Mark Andre Fleury this season. Frank, you buying or selling selling Mike Smith as good as Mark Andre Fleury has been. And some would say he's coming back from, getting stabbed in the back with a sword. <laughs> I would say that Marc-Andre Fleury has always been good. Yeah. You look at his numbers. He's been consistently excellent in his entire career. Very few drop-offs in a position where that happens all the time. Mike Smith, he's the guy that has had a fantastic year. He's a big reason why the Oilers are where they are. And to do it at his age, closing in on 39, um, I think he's the comeback player of the year. I doubted the Oilers goaltending. A lot of people did, and he's proven us all wrong. Yeah, it's hard to go with Flurry just because, you know, we talked about Hall of Famer. That guy's going to the Hall of Fame. He, he just became the third winningest goalie of all time. Like, I don't know if Mark's ever really had like a, a massive down year, all things considered. He's having an unbelievable season. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, though, who's going to win the Vesna? Uh, you know, is he going to win it? Is Vasilevsky going to win it? That, that to me is going to be an array, amazing race. But yeah, Mike Smith, I, I think the age for sure. I will say this about Smith, though. If you go back to January 2020, from January 2020 till the end of that season, Mike Smith was pretty good. Now, he wasn't 925 save percentage good, but I think it was like 916. This year, though, he's taken it to a new level. Um, he is a, He's going to set the Orders franchise record for highest save percentage in a season. He's currently at 925 in, and, and the thing about Smith is he, he went and, you know, he got a new trainer, not a goalie coach, just a different trainer. And, and you could see it like the, the, I think Kevin Woodley from Ingo magazine says belly flops per 60 are down significantly for Mike Smith. Like he's altered just the physical part of his game at 39. I think a lot of people are like, 
damn, at 39, I'm just hoping to drop a few LBs, not suddenly, uh, you know, become me at 33. top 10 goalie. <laughs> hey, uh, just so I, ha- I had it here, because I'm actually writing this story for next week about Mike Smith being uh, the comeback player of the year. The other candidates that I had, Oscar Lindblom from the Flyers, Jesse yeah. Pugliarvi, uh, with what he went through to actually make it back, not just in the NHL, but with the Oilers and to be a really productive player. Drew Doughty had a big comeback year. And I would say Joe Pavelski from a quiet year. And then he was a playoff force to carrying it over to this year. He would also be in that category. Well, uh, we're giving a lot of love to the Oilers here, but I'm going to keep it going because how could you not bring up Connor McDavid a little bit? He's on his way to, in all likelihood, his second career heart trophy. I'm going to say he wins at least five in his career, five heart trophies in the career for Connor McDavid. The staggering number. Gregor, you buying or selling? Oh, man. I, I think it's been proven at times that it's difficult because the, the voters, voter fatigue. They start looking right like yeah. for other for other options. And I, you know, hey, Austin Matthews is, is going to challenge some years because he's such an elite goal scorer. There's no question. But the funny thing is today, right now on Friday, Connor McDavid has more assists than Matthews has points. Right. And so end the discussion of Matthews because of his 40 goals should be in the heart show. I'm sorry, but well, the guy has more assists than you have points and McDavid's second in the league in goals. <laughs> so um, yeah, he's winning this year. It might be unanimous, which doesn't happen uh, very often. Even when Kucherov crushed it, he wasn't unanimous yeah. five. God, probably selling because I just think it's hard, but God, McDavid's just, you know what? Actually, I'm questioning myself. No, he, so that means just means three more. In the three more in his career. Yeah, three and ten. Yeah, he can win three in the next ten years for sure. So I'll say five. Uh, not yeah. You've you kind of that last stat kind of swayed me. I was originally going to say sell be, for all the reasons you mentioned with the the voter fatigue, and I I do think that's a real thing because yep. I myself at some point this year when the debate sort of twenty thirty games in was. Oh, Patrick Kane and the magical season that he's having carrying the Chicago Blackhawks. We, we kind of knew they would fall off a bit, but I had to slap myself and say, why am I looking for reasons to not pick Connor McDavid having the best season of his career? You know, it's been ridiculous what he's accomplished. And that's again, not to take anything away from a guy like Matthews, 40 goals in 49 games is insane. It's a 66 goal pace. You know, no one's done that in a long time. So I, I just think there's other really talented players coming along coupled with the voter fatigue. And I guess I'm going to sell it. He's probably in the four to four range. And I don't know if he gets to five. There you go. That is buy or sell brought to you by jock market. Check him out. Jockmkt.com. Also search that on your app store and use the promo code DFO 20 for a $20 deposit bonus. Awesome. Uh, we got a very special guest as you know, a thing or two about winning uh, one multiple Stanley cup. Stan Bowman's going to join us right now. Our next guest has his name etched on the trophy. He is named after three times guiding the Chicago Blackhawks to three Stanley Cups in 2010, 13, and 15. This proud Notre Dame alum who helped end a 49-year cup drought in Chicago is also tasked with ending a 42-year cold medal drought as GM of Team USA at the upcoming 2022 Olympics in Beijing. The DFO Rundown is thrilled to welcome Stan Bowman. Uh, Thanks a lot for joining us, Stan. Yeah, you're welcome. Happy to be here. So let's start here. Um, This has been a really interesting year for your team. Um, You know, there's been lots of different angles and storylines, but 
to me, looking at it from 30,000 feet, this is, this was a year in intelligence gathering for you. So as we, we get to the end of it, what do you think you've learned about your group? You're right. We, we, you know, I guess to back up a bit, we made the announcement back in October that we were going to try to rebuild our team back to, uh, prominence and we, we understand that that's a process that takes some time and you know we were a little bit more upfront with our fans about you know going down that path and i think going into the year the goal was to try to give young players an opportunity to see you know where they were in their development cycle as well as which ones could uh, play a larger role in the coming years and Certainly that plan got accelerated right before the, the season started. We lost three guys, uh, Nylander, Taves, and Kirby Dock. So those three guys we were expecting to be on our team, certainly in different roles, but somewhere on our team. And um, that things really changed, and we had to lean on the players even more than we were expecting to. So we we're here near, near the end of the season, and I think um, – it's been a successful year from that transition to putting young players in the lineup and seeing which ones can in some ways sink or swim. And um, I guess the thing I, I learned from it is uh, number one, it, it's hard to win in this league with a lot of young players. And uh, I think we held it together for a while and uh, we know we, we certainly are still competitive. We had a, a big win last night and it was, uh, you know, we, we haven't had as much success lately. So played the best team in the league on the road and we, we found a way to tie it and win it in overtime. So I think it shows that there's a lot of resiliency in this group. Um, and some young players really took hold of that opportunity. And that's, that's a bright spot for this year. Um, and, you know, we're not where we want to be and we've still got uh, a ways to go in our, in our goal of building this back up, but we are taking steps. And I think, although the record may not look a lot different than the last year or two, the way that we achieved the record was much different. We relied a lot on the back of young players to, to do it. And now what we need to do is we need some of them to continue to take a step forward and we need to supplement that group, um, you know, over the next year or two with some probably more experienced or accomplished players. And that's, uh, that's the challenge. I mean, I think we all know, not just on our team, but around the league is you need to get as many really impact players as you can. The hard part is how do you get them? You can get them through the draft. You can try to sign them as free agents or you can trade for them. Those are really the, the avenues that you can bring new players in. And, um, but everyone's trying to do the same thing. There's, there's not enough really impact players to go around. So, um, we're not where we want to be in that regard, but I think it was promising to see we have some young guys that have uh, shown they can play in the league. Yeah. Given that you're on that quest for impact players and it was really sink or swim, did you end up with more swimmers than you thought you would or about as many? Yeah, I think, I think what, what I saw was um, we have some, players who I guess Brandon Hagel is a good example. He's a guy that we signed uh, out of Red Deer a couple of years ago and he had a good year in the American league last year. He led our team in scoring um, and he made our team, but he wasn't even in the lineup to start the season. And then now by the end of the year, he's playing probably 15 minutes a game and uh, he's been an effective uh, player 
I guess you could say for some people, he might have come out of nowhere. Uh, but his his approach to the game is something that uh, I know our coach, Jeremy Colleton, really in, enjoys. He's got sort of a relentless approach. Um, he's maybe not the most uh, high skill player, but it's his competitiveness and his relentlessness, which has made a nice impact on our team. And I think it's given us maybe a bit of a different feel than we had in the past. I think for, for a number of years, we were certainly a high scoring offensive team that controlled the play with their um, offensive players. And we still have a couple of those in, in DeBrinket and Patrick Kane, uh, but we don't have as many as we did before. So we're trying to, uh, transition a little bit to being able to play a couple different ways. We would love to play that skill game. And I think, you know, Kane's having a fantastic year again. Uh, Debrinkit's, I think, second or third in the league in goals. Like, so he's really, Alex has, has had a great season for us. Um, so I think, but we're also trying to find some players that, that can bring a, a different element. And I think Hagel's just one of those guys who came in uh, and has shown. You know, he could be a nice player for us. Stan, you mentioned there's a lack of impact players. There's not enough to go around. The goaltending position, uh, if you don't have it, it's really hard to win. Um, you know, there was a lot of question marks because of all the youth you had in goal and Lankinen's come in. And has he has he overachieved or were you guys confident that he could be this good? Well, uh, fair question. I think... Um, we didn't know he could do it yet at the NHL level because he, he hadn't shown it or hadn't been given the opportunity. Um, a couple of years ago when I was working at the world championships, um, I, I watched Kevin with, uh, with Finland take them all the way to the end. And that was a team that wasn't really a star studded group. Like they didn't have a lot of NHL players that year on their team and they ended up winning the world championship. So I, that, I think we took notice that, he has the ability um, to, to put a team on his back and, to, and take them places. And, uh, but he hadn't shown it yet at the NHL level. So came into this year curious about where he would be in his NHL um, you know, performance. And I thought Kevin had a great season. Um, you know, he, he's played a lot of games and that's in, in a short amount of time. So I think, probably maybe his last couple of weeks weren't his strongest, but I, I think if you take a look uh, on balance at the entire season, he's been a really nice find for our team. Uh, I think he's shown that uh, he could be uh, a real impact player. Um, now the challenge for Kevin is just to be able to get that consistency as well as the workload. It was a lot of games over, you know, this isn't, there won't be another season like this when you're playing essentially every other day. Um, so I, I think that that was probably a challenge for him his first year in the NHL to be carrying the load that he did. There weren't too many goalies tasked with that, um, around the league playing as much as he did. So, uh, I'm, I'm, a, upbeat about his performance this year. And I also think that, um, he's got a bright future with us. Stan, for you personally, you're in such a unique spot because when you took over as GM, you had a competitive team and, and you were tasked with making it a Stanley Cup contender. And then you won three championships and your biggest challenge was managing the cap and keeping all your best players. Now you're, you're in a rebuild and not a lot of guys get to do both. How, how, how different is it? How much more patient does Stan Bowman, the rebuilder, have to be than Stan Bowman, the Stanley Cup builder? Because uh, I'm guessing at times... 
it can be a bit more frustrating. Uh, it can be, it's, you're right. It's a different, uh, it's a different mindset. And when you're in that mode, like we were back in 2009 building and building ourselves into a champion, um, the timeline is different and then you're looking to maintain it. And then, you know, you try to maintain it as long as you can. And eventually things do catch up to you. I think that's what we've seen, not just with our team, but with most teams that have had uh, a fair amount of success is um, you, at some point you start to pay for your years at the top. And it, there's like, there's a day of reckoning coming for all the, the top teams because, you know, you're, you're spending assets to maintain your team or to improve your team in the moment, to give them the best chance to be a Stanley cup winner. Uh, and then that bill comes due at some point. And when it does, um, there isn't really a way to, um, to, I guess, adapt on the fly. So, you know, we, we tried as long as we could, and now we recognize um, we have to be looking down the road more than we're looking in the present. So it is a, it's a different mindset, but I actually love it. I mean, I've been down here um, scouting the, the U18 tournament, and that's something that I, I enjoy doing. You know, I've, I've done a lot of scouting over the last five to 10 years. I enjoy getting on the road and seeing these young players. And um, there's a lot of impressive young talent coming into the league. I would say it seems year after year, there's just more players that are ready to step in. And that probably wasn't the case 10, 15 years ago, you know, when I first started, um, Kane and Taves came in the same year. Jonathan was one year older, but he went back to school for a year. Um, and when they came in, they were, it was unusual to have these two young kids coming in as rookies and being as good as they were. Uh, I mean, they were, they were both our top players like right away. But that was pretty unusual. Now, uh, I think you're seeing it more and more with these young players. They're prepared. They're, they're, we saw with Canada last night in Russia, these two you know, 15, 16-year-olds are some of the best players in the game. So um, what, what, what it means for me is that uh, there has to be some patience. You're right. That's part of it. And I think in general, as humans, we don't do great with patience. We, we want to Certainly in, in 2021, we want things and we want it now. It's part of our society, um, it's instant, uh, instant rewards, and um, it just doesn't work that way. So uh, patience is, is important, but I, the, the building side of it is something that is fascinating to me. Uh, I, I love it. I love that challenge. I think that's what gets me excited to start the day is how are we going to find, like finding a player uh, or whether it's signing a free agent or making a trade or drafting a player. Uh, that's something that I personally really enjoy doing. Um, it's almost more rewarding than the maintenance part. Um, so uh, this is something that I'm, I'm looking forward to. So as you're building, you know, you've got short-term and long-term. And in my office here, I'm looking, I got a big board. You almost have a blank slate in some ways. I don't think some people realize kind of just what's ahead for your team in terms of three years from now, you only have $8 million committed on your cap at this very moment in the short term. That's the long term. in the short term, how, how do you see yourself and this off season playing out, you know, with where you're at in your process, do you see yourself being more active on the trade front potentially than signing a free agent? How do you see it shaking out? Well, 
It's a good question, Frank. I think what I try to look at is we have a couple different directions we can go. And, you know, it's not that we're going to just figure this out later. We're, we have a couple, we have a few different scenarios that might play out. We're not sure which one is going to make the most sense at the moment. Um, but you're right. We don't have a lot of money committed really at all beyond the next couple of years. And I think that gives us the opportunity to, to go in a few different directions. So um, what you don't know is number one, when an impact player is going to come available in the trade market. And if it, if it does happen, uh, in this off season, or if it happens in the middle of next year, um, we're actually positioned pretty well to be able to um, step in and, and do that. If it doesn't come to be until another two years, then you have to be positioned so that you're at least in the game. Like I think for the last, you know, five or six years, we weren't really a candidate for some of these players who came available on the market, whether it was a free agent or a trade, because we were, we were down a path with a different group of players. And um, I think that's what gives us a, a, an optimistic outlook for the next few years that um, we are going to have to transition and bring some more impact players in. Um, but those opportunities don't come around that often. Um, so you, you have to have a measure of patience to be able to um essentially wait and not put yourself in a position where you, you can't, because let's say two years from now, player X is, is available um, and they have a sizable contract because they're a top player. You want to not put yourself in a corner where you're not a candidate for that player. So uh, I think we've done that over the last couple of years intentionally, you know, we've, we've given ourselves some flexibility. So now, uh, in, in a sense, we're we're waiting for the right opportunity to come by, and it may come this off season, or it may come, you know, eighteen months from now. That's the part we don't really know because you're somewhat reliant on what other teams want to do, and their puzzles are changing and their needs change. So mm, that's something that we're focused on right now. Mm-hmm. How how big a part of the process has Jeremy Colleton been? I mean, with the season that you guys have had, given the nature of what we just talked about, throwing a lot of young guys in, sink or swim, missing a lot of your guys that you normally would have been relying on in Taves and Doc and Nylander. You could, I could make the argument that Jeremy Colleton should be in discussion for coach of the year. How do you evaluate the season that he's had and, and also um, where he fits in your process moving forward? Yeah, I met <clears throat> I met Jeremy a few years ago. I was actually scouting a, a tournament in uh, February in Europe, and uh, I was I was on a ride with one of our our scouts, Matt Helene. It was a, we were driving up north of Stockholm, and a couple hours to kill. I just asked him who's the best young coach in Sweden, and he thought about it for a minute because I was I was trying to see what's working outside the U.S. Maybe there would be. Um, a European influence that could, that could help us. Um, he said, actually, it's a, it's this Canadian guy, Jeremy. Uh, he mispronounced his name at first. He said, Jeremy Collingwood. So I'm thinking like, I've never even heard of him. Like it's so weird, like Canadian guy in Sweden, Jeremy Collingwood. So I ask him again, he tells me his name and, and he said, Oh, it's Col Colleton, Colleton. So I looked at, I remember Jeremy as a player. Uh, he said, yeah, he's actually doing a great job with this, this team in Mora. Um, and, um, he's, he's like a local hero in Mora. He took their team and they, you know, they won the Elsvenskan. and they moved up to the, 
the SHL, which is a, a big accomplishment. Um, but and he did it by you know he didn't have a, a much of a roster as far as like names, um, and he found a way to be successful. So I, I was intrigued by that. And then we brought him over to Rockford, um, and his first year there, he took the team that um, we didn't have a lot of really high end prospects that year, uh, and they went all the way to the the semifinal in the American league. So, you know, I, I knew from working with him that his talent was connecting with players and really getting the most out of maybe not as much talent. Um, and I think it's, we've seen it now. He's been with us for, you know, he hasn't had a full NHL year yet. Like uh, last year was his, he came in the middle of the season, his first year. Um, and then last season was just, you know, hope, we were hoping it would be a regular season and it gets cut short in March with the pandemic this year. Once again, it's a strange year. So he has yet to have a full season from training camp till the end of the year to, to see what can happen. Um, and I think what I like about Jeremy is his, um, the way that he treats the players and the way that he can connect with them. He's, he's not much older than a lot of them. He's 36 years old. Uh, and I think he understands what what they're thinking and how to get the most out of them. And I've always thought that's a sign of a coach is you, you take the roster that you have, and it may not be the group of players that you would ever choose for your own team, but you figure out, okay, well, this is what this guy's good at. we got to find a way to tap into that. And I think he's, he's done a very good job of um, connecting with the players and trying to get – these different, you know, we have people that have been in the league, won Stanley Cups, and we have guys that are just trying to prove they can belong in the league. And he's taken them all and found uh, a way to connect with them. So that's something that I think is going to bode well for us in the future. He's come in as a young coach and be very good. And, and your organization, really, when you won the lottery in 2007, it, you know, I, I don't know if you knew at the time just how much it would impact your your organization for the next 15 years and Patrick Kane has has been unreal for you Stan I'm pretty sure Kane lived with you as a rookie and that that's not necessarily normal to how was that having your young star player living with the GM his first year it was well I wasn't I wasn't the GM I was the assistant GM at the time but um yeah so we drafted Patrick and um, I had met him one other time. Uh, he's from Buffalo. I grew up in Buffalo and I had met him at a, a restaurant. Um, I think it was about a year beforehand. It was with my dad and we were leaving and uh, he said, I want you to, I want to introduce you to someone who's a, who's going to be the next uh, NHL star kind of joking. Um, and I said hello to him. And then, you know, a year later we drafted him and he's in Chicago in training camp and um, you know, he, he's in the hotel for probably five weeks, five, six weeks straight, you know, a young kid. And I just invited him over uh, to have dinner one time on a weekend. It was in early October. And, um, you know, we were talking as a group about what we would do. He was, he was still wondering if he was going to make the team or go back to London. He'd played a few games and um, we wanted to get him out of the hotel. So I just asked him, you know, if you're, if you're interested after, after a couple of times, I think he came to dinner a couple of times and uh, he said, yeah, I, I kind of want to get out of the hotel. It's, it's nice to be, I had um, two young kids. I, I think a four-year-old and a two-year-old boy at the time. And um, he had a good time with it. So he moves in and um, 
you know, he, he goes on to, he was rookie of the month in October. I remember that. And then kind of the rest is history. He had a great season. He was rookie of the year. Um, and here we are now. He's, he's still one of the best players in the league. He seems to be getting better with age, which is, um, it's unusual for players who have their best seasons when they're in their thirties. But if you look at his, his progression, he's always been, uh, an offensive standout, but uh, he seems to be even better the last couple of years than he's ever been. So uh, I guess it's a testament to who he is as a, as a player. He's, he really is a student of the game. There's, there's not many, I mean, you probably hear about them, you know, Crosby and the, these other players is the reason that they're as great as they are is they um, they're never satisfied with their game and they're always trying to add something new to their game. So in the process, you get a lot of experience as you're been in the league for 15 years or 14 years, you know a lot more than you did when you started and you're wiser and your skill sets more refined as you get older. Um, and I think that's why Patrick's been able to continue to be a, a great player in the league. And I, I don't think he's slowing down. He's showing that, um, he finds a way every year to be even better. And I would think, Stan, that the human element, that human connection, maybe like you appreciate Patrick, the player, and everybody sees that, but you were diagnosed uh, with, uh, you know, you got your inertial diagnosis. I think Patrick was still living with you at the time. And so he's a young man at that point. And, and that's a lot for you personally and your wife to take on and, and to have him. How, how important when you look back on that, you know, was that for you, for him to, to opt to stay and, and live with you guys. Cause I think you gave him the option to leave. And he was like, no, I'd rather stay. Yeah. That's a great story. You're, you're right. You did your homework. Um, so we were, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. Cause I had gone, I had Hodgkins, um, right before the, the draft actually. So I was sick. I went through my chemo and right around the time of the draft, I was, um, cancer free. So we drafted Patrick, he's living with us. And I remember I was in, uh, Los Angeles. It was New Year's Day. It was the outdoor game, the, the first one, Buffalo and Pittsburgh. I'm watching the game. I get a call from my doctor and uh, he just says, I, I had had my, my checkup, my six month checkup right before Christmas. And uh, he, he called me back and he said, you know, well, maybe you can come in if you're not in town. We just need to kind of do another follow-up test. It's a couple of things looked a little different on the last scan. So you know, I'm sitting there and, and watching the game and I'm thinking, oh, this isn't good news. So I get back from being out of town and um, sure enough, the cancer had come back. And, you know, when it comes back that soon, it's it's usually it's not a good story. Um, you know, Hodgkin's is a very treatable cancer. And when I got sick, everyone said, well, you have the good cancer. So, you know, Hodgkin's is, is the one you want to get. Don't worry about it. You're young. It's fine. So I didn't worry about it. And then all of a sudden it comes back and that's like, okay, well, now we got to be a little bit more aggressive that you're going to need a transplant. This is, this is the real deal here. So uh, it was probably, you know, it took a month or six weeks to figure that out. So we're, we're in February and it was going to get tough. I was going to have to go to the hospital for about a month. And, you know, Patrick was, like I said, he was having a great season. He was in the middle of his, his rookie year. He was top player and um, it was tough at home. My, my, my boys didn't understand what was going on. There's a lot of emotion in the, in the household. And I just, I thought to myself, Patrick's not going to want to be around this. Like he's got a lot, he's in the middle of the season. So uh, I remember I went to him and I, 
I just didn't ask him. I assumed he's going to just go somewhere else. So we're trying to figure out where he's going to go live. And he was kind of quiet and he said, yeah, you know, I, I guess if that's what you guys want, I kind of want to stay though. I mean, but if you don't want me here, then I get it, but I, I feel like I'm part of it. And I like being around, you know, the kids and I, I stepped back for a minute and I realized like, wow, that was actually really a savior for my kids because it was tough. They didn't know what was going on and they had kind of looked at him as like an older brother. So for him to be willing to stick it out and it made their lives a lot better. And then I, I went away. I was, I was in the hospital for, like I said, about a month. And um, I still kind of remember that, that he, when the, the going got tough, he wanted to be there for them and for, for all of us. And I think that, so yeah, I've known I've known Patrick probably in a different way than anyone else, and that's why um, he's a really really caring person. I think that's the thing that that stands out the most for me. And people have different opinions of him, but I think now that um, they've gotten to know him more, they see that side of him. He's an incredible athlete, but he's a great person. Mm-hmm. Stan, we're glad to see that you're in good health now. Um, I wanted to ask, speaking of health, about Patrick's partner in crime. I know you gave an update somewhat recently about Jonathan Taves. I think we've all tried to be really respectful of what he's been going through. Is there anything new there? And and what are your prospects or hopes for next season? Uh, no, I don't really have an update, Frank. But uh, I did talk to Johnny it's probably a couple of weeks ago now. We had a really good talk. Um, talked for about a half hour about a lot of different things. Talked about our team. Talked about himself talked about life in general and um yeah he is improving and i think you know he he's hopeful that um you know that things are going on in the right direction here so as far as what does that mean uh, obviously didn't play this year but um i didn't get the and i didn't come out because i don't think johnny knows you can't predict the future but just in the way he was talking i think he's he's optimistic about the future. So um, I think at some point that's, that's his story to tell. Um, But I did, I have kept in contact with him. I had a good chat with him recently, more than just a couple minute update. It was more of a longer conversation and um, it was nice to, to talk to him, to hear that he's doing better. And, you know, I'm hoping he continues on that path how strange has this year felt without him? I mean, you take a pillar like Johnny out, you know, and then Brent of course makes his decision. Um, those are two pillars that have been around for a really long time. They are there. I mean, they kind of define the leadership of our team really from the beginning era there, the, you know, 2007, eight, that, that time frame. Um, they were big figures around our team leadership wise. I think, you know, Siebes has always been sort of the, um, the heartbeat of the team with his, his uh, personality and his leadership. He's a beloved teammate. If you talk to anybody who's played with him, they, they say there's nobody better than, than Brent Seabrook as far as uh, being a great teammate. Same thing for Jonathan and Jonathan's been our leader and our captain. So it's been hard. It's been hard to, transition i think you know kane has certainly stepped up and take taken on a different role in that in that regard but in relation to seabrook and taves they've um 
great players for so many years. And uh, when you don't have them around day in, day out, um, you're certainly missing their leadership. Stan, you, you know, you talk about scouting, you're down at the U18s. Uh, you love that fa facet of it. If I'd ask you to scout the other divisions in the NHL this year, how difficult has it been? You've only seen seven teams uh, every night for, for your team. And I know that scouting's been limited in, in travel, that there's been a little bit more of it lately. Do you have a sense as a fan of the game to kind of know which divisions are truly better? Or is that, is that really difficult to tell when it's the same seven teams or eight teams playing each other every night? It's hard, Jason. It is hard. Uh, uh, it's weird that I've really only, I mean, I, I feel like I, I know the teams in our division better than ever. And our division is unique in the sense that these are teams we don't typically play uh, other than Nashville and Dallas. These are all Eastern teams for us. So um, it's actually been nice to be able to see the Carolina and Florida, Tampa, like really impressed with the Carolina team. There's someone, I knew they were a good team, but until I saw them uh, up close as much as I did this year, uh, I realized they, they re are, they're the real deal. They're, they're very good. And certainly Tampa and Florida, same thing. So, um, but as far as knowing those other divisions, um, yeah, I, I watch them on TV like everyone else, but I haven't actually been to a game in person. And that, that's something that I, that was the one benefit of last year in the bubble um, is I got a chance to see all these playoff games up front and in person. Um, that was a, that was a blast. I enjoyed that being able to see uh, in, you know, I never really get to see other in a normal year. You don't get, if you're in the playoffs, you don't get the chance to see other series. And to see, you know, there were no fans in the building, but the intensity was still there and it was playoff hockey and it was desperate. Um, so I think there's a value in seeing teams in person and I haven't had a chance to do that this year. So um, and the other part of it is that they've, like you said, they've only played in your division. So you don't really know what you have, um, you know, but I'm, I'm following it closely on TV. I'm watching all these other games and, um, you know, there's, there's interesting aspects to each division. Um, so, uh, but to answer your question, I don't know. I don't think I have as good of a feel for those teams because I haven't seen them number one play against each other. So the best teams in each division, if you were to wonder who's better than another one, it's, it's a lot of guesswork at this point. I, I don't have, uh, a great measuring stick for that. Uh, the one thing that most people agree with this year as a fan of the game is, is McDavid's season is kind of out of this world, really. He's going to get 100 points, it looks like, in a, in a shortened season. Uh, how many of the opposing uh, North GMs are texting and emailing you uh, tips on how to slow him and dry settle down like you guys <laughs> did in the bubble last year? Well, I don't know if we slowed them down that much. They still had a really good series. I think we found a way to to get the win. Um, but I think they uh, had 14 points in five games. Yeah, yeah, they were they were good. <laughs> so um, I think we there was a couple the couple of games we did win. We were able to neutralize them somewhat, but uh, they certainly uh, we didn't succeed too well at that. I think we we did a good job against the rest of the team. But um, I don't know if you can stop those guys. They're uh, they're fun to watch. They're so good. They're so talented. There's uh, you can try to limit their effectiveness, but um, they're going to get their chances. They're just, they're that good. So um, no, I, I have talked to some teams about 
the fact that uh, we were able to beat them in the playoffs, but I'm not sure we uh, neutralized them too well. And you, and All right, you so- have a front row seat a little bit in, in knowing a danger, like Patrick Kane, I think for a decade, when the puck was on a stick in the offensive zone, was the most dangerous player. Like you'd see, you'd almost see teams when he started that cycle down low and then he'd come up to the blue line and you could just see guys, oh my God, what are we doing? You know, like David and Dry Subtle has that. Did, did you catch yourself some days just sitting back and be like, oh, there's Hosa and there's Kane and there's Taves and Keith. And like, to be a Stanley Cup winner, you need a lot of really good players. But like, you had a lot of Hall of Famers on one team, Stan. How, how fun was that as a guy who's been around the game as long as you have to, to get to watch that every night? It was, uh, it was a treat. I think you, as much as you try to appreciate it in the moment, you, you do tend to take things for granted. And now I look back on it and realize, wow, that was those teams were amazing players and Patrick Sharp too had a lot of like 30 goal years. And you're right. Hosa is probably one of the best two-way players in the last you know 20 years of the game. Um, you know, he's a hall of famer now and you know, Keith and Seabrook, Taves, Kane. So like I said, there's the names go on and on. And I think that's what made it so fun was to watch how each of them, they were different, just like McDavid and Dreisaitl are, are different talents. Um, but I think the the fact that they have that that's what makes our game our game great in my opinion is the when you watch players that are at that level um, there, there's so few of them so you can really appreciate how great they are. All right, Stan, we know you got to catch a flight. Let's uh, wrap it up, Jason, with some rapid fire. Awesome. Okay, Sam, we have a fun little game. We end with all our guests. It's rapid fire. The, the only rule is you have to answer honestly. Uh, don't worry. They're, they're, they're pretty fun questions. I'll start with our easiest one. So Stan Bowman, after a Stanley Cup win or, or maybe a tough loss, what is, what is Stan Bowman's cocktail of choice? I'm a beer guy. IPA is my, my drink of choice. Okay. Um, which Chicago Blackhawks player do you think would make the best GM and why? Um, current player or player yeah, anyone, that you, anyone that you were with that had it on your team uh, I think Hoso would be really good I've had conversations with Marion um, outside the game and uh, when he was with us and even since he's departed us um, I just like his perspective on on things I, th- I think he sees the game the right way why did you gravitate towards management and not coaching like your father? I don't have the ment- uh, the approach to be a coach. I think like I've never wanted to do that. It's interesting. Um, uh, I think maybe it was because I, I didn't want to be compared to my dad. If that's what people say, <clears throat> I suppose that could be true. Uh, that wasn't really my thought process. It's just, uh, I don't have the the personality for it. I guess I'm more of a, an analyzer and like, I think you're more, in the trenches when you're the coach. And that's, that's not been something I ever wanted to do. So if you had to evaluate and pick which one's better, Stan Bowman, amateur scout, Stan Bowman, pro scout. Um, probably amateur scout. I, I really enjoy the, the projection part of it. You have to have a little bit more of a ma- imagination because you're not always looking at what they're doing in the moment that's what you notice the most, but you know, these players are all going to mature and change and you have to look at who can adapt the best. So that that's something that I enjoy probably doing more than anything. 
When uh, the pandemic, and I know it's opening up, but uh, when people are coming to Chicago, what's the best jazz club you'd recommend? Oh God, I'm a bad one for jazz. I don't, <laughs> I haven't gone to jazz clubs, so I would be a bad tour guide there. Okay. And um, can you name any other song by the Fratellis other than Chelsea Dagger? I'm not a huge music aficionado, uh, and I must admit that that's the only one I can <laughs> I can name. So uh, not much help there either. Hey, don't worry, I had to look it up because I didn't know any either. <laughs> but it's a, it's been a pretty popular song for you for a long time, Stan. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today and uh, continued success and enjoy what should be a, a very uh, interesting offseason uh, for you, the Blackhawks, and the entire NHL. Yeah, thanks. I enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Stan Bowman, outstanding stuff. Really enjoy just his perspective. It's a unique spot, Frank. There's not many GMs who get the opportunity to do what he's done to build a winner and then now try to rebuild a winner. And that was our big guest brought to you by Manscaped. We welcome them to the DFO rundown. Now use the promo code DFO21 at manscaped.com. So you get 20% off and you get free shipping. And how about this? You can get in the just launched the lawnmower, the 4.0, <laughs> baby. Trim that stuff up. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, the good folks at Manscaped were kind enough to send us a sample. And so uh, I was actually sitting at my desk. My my wife answered the door, opened the package, and she said, what is this? She looks down. She's like, it's lawnmower 4.0. And I just was like, honey, it's actually, if you think about it, really a gift for you. So um, yeah, definitely was excited to try it. And uh, it actually, it was great. You don't nick your balls. So get the manscaped and uh, get on with your day. I, I can attest to that. It is very good. I don't know what they've got for that protective thing on there, but it's unbelievable. Cause every guy, if they're being honest, when they've tried to, uh, uh, to trim up old Mo and Joe, they've probably made an erroneous cut and it, uh, it does not work. So that won't happen anymore with uh, manscaped. So. Let's Fascinating quickly, interview let's yeah. the show with uh, thoughts about, about Chicago and, and Stan Bowman. It's, it's kind of intriguing leading up to the expansion draft, Frank, you talked about it. Like they have a, a ton of cap space. And I think that's a team that if there's teams out there that just don't, you know, they, they're like, geez, we could, we have two guys we might lose here. Did, do they trade one to Chicago, you know, to increase their opportunities, maybe not to just lose a guy for a good pick. Like, I wonder if, if how much Bowman's going to be willing to give up because he's got lots of cap space. He's in a good position to, to add a decent player. If he want, if teams want to part with one. I'm really bullish on the Blackhawks. Um, I just think, Stan framed it in such a perfect way about being in a position and having an opportunity to go get some of these impact players. And he's at the mercy, as he said, of some of these other teams as they're reshuffling their own deck, do the real impact players become available? And I, I think we will see some of that player movement and it's not just that, but I think he's in a, in a position where he can leverage his cap space in a way that he's got LTIR moving forward with Seabrook. He's got it with Andrew Shaw and he could have it again with Jonathan Taves. No one knows what happens there, but that's a lot of money to play with where you can take on other teams, bad contracts and yeah. get valuable assets and pieces in return. You saw, you know, he did a little bit of that, um, you know, just with the Florida Panthers at the deadline, um, you know, he took on a contract in Brett Conley that the Panthers were trying to unload and they end up getting a player back that they think that they can use in a significant way moving forward. So um, that's, you know, there's going to be lots of opportunities like that 
that I think are going to help springboard this team in addition to the other trades and, and signings that they could make. Yeah, it'll be fascinating. Uh, well, that was a great, that's a little bit longer than we like to go in the DFO, but Stan was awesome. So we appreciate him coming by and uh, we will tune in on Monday, Frank. We'll probably have uh, the 16 spots, maybe uh, solidified. Some teams as play seasons will be over. Others will have a week left. It's kind of the crazy 21, 21 season of the national hockey league, but it's a good one. We'll talk to you next week. Playoff preview time. Let's do it. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to never miss an episode. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. All right, hockey fans, listen up, because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.